I want to begin this sermon this morning by telling you what I'm not going to talk about, which might seem a strange way to start, but it's what I'm going to do nonetheless. I'm not going to talk about the obvious themes of teaching and proclaiming the gospel that are present in these verses. But I do want to say right at the start that this doesn't mean these things aren't important. These things are vitally important. It's important that we continue to learn as disciples of Jesus Christ what it means to be disciples of Jesus Christ. What it means to respond as we think Jesus would in the situations that we find ourselves in in our everyday life. And to find within ourselves the confidence and the understanding of the hope that we have to be able to speak about that hope with others. What I am going to focus in on this morning, and I'm going to focus in on it without apology, is specific parts of what these verses are talking about and what I think Paul is building his central hope around, which we see is this mystery that was hidden but now revealed. And that is Christ in you, the hope of glory. I am going to look a lot at that this morning. And I'm going to look at that after we have firstly looked at Paul's peculiar, it may seem to us, response to the suffering that he experiences. And he sees the suffering as one that he can rejoice in. Now, I'm hesitant to say this at the start because it sounds so blindingly pessimistic. But I'm going to say it nonetheless. There, there, are, there is that saying there are only two things in life that you can be certain of. And those two things are death and taxes. I don't agree with that. I don't think that that is the full story of human experience at all. And I would say that one of those things that we can be quite certain we will experience at some point in our life is suffering. We will experience that. And it's inevitable at some point in our life. So the first thing we are going to look at is suffering. Now Paul takes this di- a different perspective and he sees suffering in his flesh that he is filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body that is the church. Now I find that even difficult to read because it doesn't make sense in my head. Is Paul at this point trying to say that somehow Jesus' work on the cross didn't complete that which he intended it ought to? I think I would like to hope that we would all say to that, it can't possibly be what Paul is getting at, because Paul is the one who strongly developed this whole understanding that Jesus on the cross achieved all that God needed him to achieve on our behalf. And if you read the book of Galatians, he speaks continuously about it being about faith and trust and not works and law. So what Paul is saying isn't that somehow he's got to finish off the job that Jesus started because Jesus didn't somehow complete that job. What it does seem that he is saying is that because he sees himself as part of this new messianic people, this kingdom of God that Jesus Christ has established by Jesus Christ's actions, his death and his resurrection and the establishment of the church as his body, that one of the things Paul sees is being a core part of that is that suffering will be present. And of course, in Paul's case, this is physical suffering. We know that sometimes his preaching, and we've been going through acts in the evenings, sometimes 
it doesn't end well in the villages and the cities and the towns that he goes into. Sometimes he barely gets out alive. So he has experienced that physical suffering for the gospel. But what does it mean if we are to say that as Christians, one of the hallmarks of being Christians is that suffering will be present in the people of God? And I've really wrestled with with that. And one of the conclusions I've drawn is that the temptation for us as Christians is to create distinctions. So we see what Paul experiences here and the sufferings that he's experiencing here. And we think, okay, these sufferings were clearly for God and therefore they are different to my sufferings. And I don't think that God creates distinctions like that. I think God sees our suffering and his intention is for us to see our suffering differently. Somewhat like Paul has here. Suffering is one of these things that can be unpleasant, it's scary, it can be suffocating, it's overpowering at times. We can be faced with things that fill us with fear and anxiety, pain and hurt, even loss. And at times we can feel that we have no way out of it. Now suffering, as I said, is something every person experiences. It's not exclusive to Christians. Every single person, I think, experiences it at some point in their life. But what I think is exclusive to Christians, it's a perspective that we can adopt and take on suffering. Because one of the things I think we could all relate to is that suffering can become like a cage if it's not handled well. It can feel like we are stuck, that we can't get out, even suffocating. And that there's no light at the end of the tunnel. No escape. That can be what suffering can feel like. But yet, it didn't feel like that for Paul. And I don't think it needs to feel like that for us as well. Whilst I don't think rejoicing in suffering is something that we find entirely natural to do, I think we need to look at Paul's foundations for how he gets to a place where he takes that kind of perspective on the sufferings that he is experiencing. And he speaks about this mystery. This mystery that's been hidden for ages and generations that's now been revealed to the saints. That mystery which has now been revealed to us. Because we are those saints. And the people that are reading this were those saints. And that is that for thousands of years there was rumours and whispers and prophecies of a Messiah that would come. A Messiah that would come and enact something remarkable that God would achieve through him. And this was the something that was the mystery of the ages. What would it be? What would it look like? What would happen? And we know when we look at the story of Jesus' birth and his ministry that there was lots of different ideas about what this would be. 
when he was first born, there was misunderstandings of what this would be. When he was trying to teach his disciples, there was misunderstandings of what this would be. They were hoping that he was going to establish a military kingdom where he would drive out the Romans. And of course, that's precisely almost the opposite of what Jesus did when he told them that his kingdom isn't of this world. He didn't meet their initial expectations. But this mystery is revealed to us. Known. We know who the Messiah is. That his name is Jesus. That he walked and he taught and he ministered and he healed and he journeyed with so many people. He lifted people out of the squalor that they might have found themselves in. Welcomed and the rejected. And humbled the arrogant. This is a person that we know as our saviour. We know what he did. That he set his face towards Jerusalem. He set his face towards the place where he knew that he would face a cross. And he did this because of his love for us. He willingly chose to lay down his life for those that would come to know him. So we know who he is. We know what he did. We know that because of what he did... There is now no division between us and God. Paul says in these verses there is hope. And it's no mere hope either. It's not simply hope that things will work out okay. It's not simply hope that suffering will end. Although these things make up part of it. It's hope of glory. Of being with God. Spending eternity with God. And I believe actually that that doesn't begin the moment we perish. I believe that begins the moment we place our trust in Jesus Christ. When we are filled with the Holy Spirit. We begin that remarkable journey with God. We live that journey the rest of our lives. And then into eternity. I think Paul rejoices because he has that hope of glory. But I don't think that's the only reason that he rejoices. I think he rejoices because this mystery which has been made known to us reveals something else to us as well. It reveals an understanding and an experience. You know, experience is a big deal for us as human beings. If you look on a lot of job applications, they will ask for people with experience. In fact, so many job applications have, we would like somebody with experience. You often wonder where people get the experience from. But that's the way it is. We value experience. We think that with experience comes learning, comes wisdom, comes knowledge, comes a deeper level of problem solving, comes empathy. If something major is happening in our lives and we have to trust somebody else, the fact that they have experience is a very important thing. It's a reassuring thing. 
and it brings us comfort. If I go back to my plane analogy that I used, I think it was last month when I spoke about how we would feel if we were in a plane and the pilot got lost. I wonder how we would feel. I don't know how many people are anxious flyers in here, but I certainly am one of them. But if we got into a plane and we were about to set off and, we, and the pilot revealed to us this was his first ever flight and he'd never done anything other than simulations before, for somebody like me who is anxious, that would be enough to send me sprawling for the exit if I had time or a parachute. I would take my chances, I really would, if, I, if, I, if there was no time. That wouldn't be reassuring. It would fill us with anxiety, it would fill us with fear, and it would make us wonder, am I actually going to get to this destination place? Does this person have the skill that I need them to have to get me from this point to that point? Yeah? Although some of you might be totally confident in a plane and not care one way or another whether it's a person or an AI flying it. If that's the case, then I'm concerned. But experience matters. And I think one of the reasons that Paul could have hope and could rejoice because he had hope in the midst of the sufferings that he experienced was because the mystery that has been revealed to us is a God who is willing to suffer. A God who knows what suffering is. And this isn't mere intellectual knowledge. This isn't simulator flying. This is first-hand, genuine experience that he has when Jesus Christ came. God embodied in flesh and lived on this earth. He experienced suffering. So when we speak of suffering... And when we cry out to God in the midst of suffering, and when we wonder if God can get us from point A to point B in our suffering, we are not pondering or asking an entity, a being that has no concept or understanding of what it is we are experiencing and feeling And what our anxieties might be, we are asking one who is familiar with suffering, who knows what suffering is. One who in the Garden of Gethsemane felt the anxiety to the extent... Now, I have felt very anxious at many times in my life. I felt so anxious at times that my legs have shaked so much that I wondered if they would buckle and that I would just simply collapse into a big heap of uncomposed mess on the floor. But I've never sweated blood. Jesus and his anxiety did. He experienced suffering. So the God that we call out to, the God that we're all praying to, the God who is in the midst of his people as we as a church and as individuals face lots of situations that create this experience within us of suffering is one who knows what suffering is. He is one that we can call out to and one that we can trust because our God has the experience of it. 
Our God knows what it is. He's not some stoic, unmovable, cold, unmoving being. He is one that knows what suffering is. Jesus understands. So when Paul says in verses such as these that this mystery which has been revealed, this mystery that causes joy is Christ in you, the hope of glory. What he's telling us, I believe, is that within each and every one of us who have placed our trust and our hope in Jesus Christ is the God who understands. The God who can relate. The God with the experience. The God who has that skill. We are all familiar with, the, with that famous poem, Footprints in the Sand. Footprints in the Sand, if anyone isn't familiar with this poem, it's a poem where you see where somebody is speaking with God and looking back on their life and oftentimes they see two sets of footprints, them and God journeying with them. And then they see, much to their shock, that at the hardest points of their life, only one set of footprints. And they ask God, of course, a blindingly obvious question at that point. Why at these most difficult moments of my life did I walk alone and God tells them no at those times it was me who carried you the God that is within us this Christ in us the hope of glory isn't some stoic being that's unmoving to the difficulties that we experience as human beings. But one who can empathize. One we can trust. And one we can, we can cry out to knowing that he hears and understands and empathizes with the different challenges and difficulties that we have in our lives. You know, when I think and when I look around the room and when I think about the experiences in my own life there are lots of different situations that we would, we would comfortably classify as suffering in the midst of our church family whether it's job losses job uncertainty whether it is illness and family difficulties whether it's seeing the ones that we love suffer because that could sometimes actually bring more suffering. What I want to encourage us with this morning is this mystery that was hidden but now revealed that Christ is in you, that we have that hope because God is with us, one who knows our suffering, one who is familiar with suffering, one that can relate to our experiences and feelings. And therefore, one that we can cry out to. One that we can call upon. And one that we can trust. Because we know that he understands. And we know that he is, is good.
What I'd like us to do now is to spend some time together in silence. Simply waiting before God. You know, we sang the song earlier, Strength will rise as we wait upon the Lord. And those are words that are lifted from the Psalms. From people's experience of God. So this morning, I want us to do that. To wait upon the Lord. To listen for his voice. To seek his touch and his strength. To pray even for our brothers and sisters or our family members that we know are going through difficult times. So we're going to spend some time together in silence, waiting upon God. And then I will come back up and I will lead us in prayer. So let's spend some time together waiting upon our God. Father, we thank you. We thank you that we have Christ in us, the hope of glory. And Father, we recognize that this, this morning that suffering isn't unique to Christians, but this hope that we have is, Lord. So it's our prayer that this morning, this hope that you have given us for your grace and your mercy, that you have reached out, Lord, into our lives, and into our hearts and into our beings, Lord. You've not just cleansed us from sin, but you've poured yourself into us. We pray that, Lord, this knowledge, this mystery revealed, would, Lord, impact our lives in the areas that we're struggling with the most, Lord. 
that this would be a source of strength and a source of hope. And even, Lord, like it was for Paul, a source of joy. Father, we pray really specifically, Lord, for our brothers and sisters in our fellowship, Lord, those that we love, those that we continually pray for, those that we care for, those that, Lord, we seek to, as your word, Lord, guides us to, to journey with one another in our burdens. Lord, we just pray for your strength and your peace and your healing and your hope upon those in our fellowship, Lord, that are struggling at this time. Lord, may, may they know you're leading. May they know you're going before them, Lord. May they know you're standing beside them, carrying them when needed, giving them the strength, Lord, that is required. Much like Paul says in these verses, Lord, that we struggle with all your energy, that you powerfully work within us. May this be the experience, Lord, of those in our fellowship that are struggling at this time. Father, we pray that you would bless us by just outpouring your spirit upon us, Lord. That this mystery that has been revealed, Lord, would bring joy to our hearts because we know the forgiveness of our God. We know that there is nothing now that can separate us from you. And we know that you are with us now always, even to the end of the age. So Lord, fill our hearts with hope and then fill our heads with hope, Lord, so that we can go out into a world which is so acquainted with suffering, Lord, and proclaim the hope that we have to it, that we can minister to it, Lord, and show that there is a different way, that is the way of Jesus Christ and the hope that he brings, a God who is reaching out into his world calling out to a people who are caught in sin who are hurt who are broken and who are so often disorientated so Lord may we know well this mystery that is now revealed Christ in us the hope of glory may it be our foundation may it be our rock may it bring us strength and hope and joy And Lord, may it do so in ways in which we can then proclaim this to those around us. Lord, we are your lights. We are those that you're going to use to be salt of the earth. We are those that you are powerfully working within. So this morning, Lord, at this time, as we sit before you and rest in your presence, we just ask, Lord, that you would fill us with your spirit and your joy in your strength. You would equip us and anoint us, Lord, for the seasons of our lives. In the midst of all that our lives entail, that you would use us, Lord, to build your kingdom, to bring glory to your name, and to bless those around us. Father, be with us. Go before us, surround us, lead us, empower us, And give us all that we need as your servants and those, Lord, that cry out to you in trust. Because you are the God that we know, the God that we love, and the God that is the true and living God. So lead us and empower us, we ask.
And I just pray, Lord, that this morning as we've spent this time in worship, in reflection, in prayer, before your word, in the midst of all this, Lord, we will know your touch this morning. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.